You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. Nothing is impossible, and while historically pipelines win, I'm not going to base the way that I resist off of that. I want to trust that community will continue to develop through this and that this is a spark. This is one thing that has delayed because it has delayed and maybe it will delay to the moment that they can't do anything and maybe we will win. But I think it's such a privilege to be here now. It is because these are challenging times but we have a chance to really stand up and make a difference or not make a difference. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe that won't happen, but, but we have a chance to really stand for something and work for uh, the betterment of our world. I'm grateful for that. I don't know where the, it'll all end up, but I'm grateful for this opportunity and for the fact that there are so many people shoulder to shoulder like me who feel that. Hey, that's exciting. Things are moving quickly every day on the route of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, or MVP, a 42-inch high-pressure fracked gas pipeline that is now entering construction phase through the southwest counties of Virginia. There's no telling what will have changed for pipeline fighters on the ground by the time this episode airs. What we know right now is that there are growing resistance sites, from the tree sitters on Peters Mountain who have been there for over 31 days, and now to the community of Bent Mountain, who has historically banded together, neighbor with neighbor, to keep watch against the MVP. In our last episode, we asked whether or not the tree sit at Peters Mountain Stand had sparked something. For locals on the ground in Monroe County, even a week ago, it seemed the answer was already yes. See, this is an easier run. No, no, we won't go. 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 In his closing argument as legal defense for the tree sitters, William DePaulo stated that there was no reasonable way that the tiny area that the sitters were occupying was enough of an impediment to qualify as irreparable harm to a multi-billion dollar company such as EQT. There is one irreparable injury though, Your Honor, that they are in Crane, and I'll, I'll freely concede that. The impact of those people being up in the tree in the middle of winter storms causes people to think, why on earth are those kids up there? Why aren't they down at Daytona, spring break? Why aren't they going in? Why would anybody voluntarily climb up in that tree? And the answer is very compelling. Uh, the answer is it makes people think about why are we undertaking this project at all? And if America starts thinking about that and continues thinking about it long enough, if people keep thinking about it long enough, said Mr. DePaulo, they will reach a conclusion that will cause irreparable harm to the pipeline. 
Pipeline opponents won a victory that day when Judge Irons denied MVP a preliminary injunction to have the tree sitters removed. We won. We won the case today. The pipeline people had asked for an injunction so that they could go ahead and cut the trees down where the people were sitting in the trees. But the survey was wrong, hundreds of feet wrong. Locals like Ashby Berkeley couldn't wait to tell people the good news. Judge Irons ruled that the accuracy of MVP's survey maps were in question, that they failed to prove whether the tree sitters were actually in an area that MVP had permission to cut. In his testimony, MVP's main witness, a subcontracted surveyor for MVP, admitted to rounding milepost markings on the maps, resulting in inconsistent measurements and a representation of the area that was not to scale. And I don't really have anything in this fight one side or the other. I'm just not as convinced of it as you are. So I'm going to deny your request for a preliminary injunction. We can't guess right all the time, can we? Do? <laughs> Sometimes things happen by surprise. Yeah. After the court victory of March 20th, the Forest Service issued a new set of closure orders to the trees in the National Forest. But rather than wait for the Forest Service's next move, Pipeline opponents decided to add another layer of protection for the tree sitters, staging a picnic blockade on the Forest Service road that leads up the mountain. Um, among supporters, it's really jovial. People have brought pop and donuts and pizza, um, and it feels a lot more like a picnic or a gathering than it does a protest besides the John 55-foot pole sticking right across the gate in the middle of the road. <laughs> the TreeSit supporter explained that shortly after 7 a.m., a 50-foot pole called a monopod was secured to the already closed Forest Service gate, and an individual was secured high up in the pole, preventing access from vehicles of any sort. I think this action is is about taking back ground that we've never ceded in the first place um, and showing people that this public access road, this road that goes eventually up through Virginia to the West Virginia side, to Peters Mountain, to the Appalachian Trail. I mean, it's generations of people where this has been communal land and ultimately like a very small corporation is trying to like limit access and for us this is about saying no this is still the people's land no this is still the people's water and no we're not only going to fight you on this we're going to win the monopod sitter at the forest service road has now been there for over a week even though the Forest Service has tried to cut off supplies, such as food and water, from getting to the site. Recent reports are that the Forest Service has maintained a 24-hour presence at the site, searching people's bags and shining bright lights on the monopod sitter at all hours of the night. There's no telling what will have happened by the time this reaches your ears, but the tree sit supporter informed me that they intend to hold the space as long as possible. I think the forces of power are 
actually a little taken aback by the scale and the suddenness of this. And it's one of those days instead of us consistently reacting to what the corporations do or what the state does, ultimately we're making them react to us. And who knows what happens tomorrow or what happened yesterday, but we're certainly winning today. And we intend to keep that pressure going. Well, I mean, in a way that only seems fair, especially for folks up on the mountain. That's our, that's our homes. It's our place, you know, and we're not getting listened to at all. So, yeah, they should respond to us. Genesis Chapman says that the pace of life has been hectic lately, and he's been talking about pipelines a lot. Crazy hectic. I think I've done more interviews and uh, discussions with uh, media, news, news channels than I have in my entire life. And even some of the, some of the same ones twice. <laughs> As listeners may recall from episode 13, Genesis grew up on Bent Mountain, roaming the fields and rocky banks of Bottom Creek. It's been the subject of his art for years, but since 2015, Genesis has shifted his focus to depicting the dangers and fears of what the MVP could do to the place he calls home. We're the ones that know the place. We're the ones that have lived there all of our lives. We've hunted in those ridges. We've played in those streams, most all of us, since we were kids. And we know it like the back of our hands, and they never will. So yeah, they should, they should be listening to us. People on Benton Mountain have tried for three years to get their county and state governments to hear them on their concerns for land, water, and especially for Bottom Creek. But we don't feel like we have any support from our, our county government at all. We don't feel like we have any support from our state government because it's owned by Dominion and they're pro-pipelines. Um, so we feel like all, we're all we've got and we're just a bunch of you know, old, old ladies up here that are here during the day, you know, to try to fight the pipeline people. It's just a bunch of little old ladies. That's Mert Reeves. And even though she and her friends might be what she describes as old ladies, they've all done their share of keeping watch for MVP surveyors for almost four years now, challenging MVP on their right to enter and take property, and challenging the pipeline's necessity at all. All of this has taken time and energy, and Jenny Chapman says she's angry about that. Yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry. I want my life back. You know, I want to be able to live my life. I want to be able to have the time and the energy that I put into all of that, put into some constructive things. But this has taken all that. It's taken that from me. It's taken, it's taken from everybody. But then there's the satisfaction of, well, it's now 2018 and it's not built yet. If you're just tuning in, you're catching the latest from End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia. As we said way back in episode one, this pipeline saga is a moving target and the story is still unfolding. It was true then, and it's even more true now. 
with not one but two high-pressure fracked gas pipelines and new developments happening daily, it's difficult to keep up with what's happening along both routes. You can always catch up on what you've missed or be re-inspired by past actions of pipeline fighters at soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. I had already told my husband three years ago that if I had to go into a tree, I was going to go into a tree. And then when I heard about them going up in the trees, then I was like, oh, God bless them. Stop them any way you can. The tree sitters at the Peters Mountain Stand have been holding their position on two trees, close to the Appalachian Trail, for well over a month now. And not only has the support for the tree sitters grown, it's inspired similar actions miles away on another mountain. I think it's actually given people a lot of hope. And from what I've seen in response to what's going on in Bent Mountain, it's definitely a huge topic of discussion. Genesis Chapman grew up on Bent Mountain, a small but tight-knit community who have been fighting the so-called Mountain Valley Pipeline for almost four years. On April 2nd, he and other Bent Mountain residents were summoned by neighbors to come to the aid of a woman named Red after MVP surveyors discovered her perched on a platform between two trees on her family's land. Because the fact that the politicians haven't listened, because the DEQ hasn't listened, I think they're gonna find that at the very least people are banding together and they're helping each other out. And that's basically, it's not just the history of Bent Mountain, that's the history of really all of the Appalachian Mountains of every community and all rural communities across America. That's the, that's, that's, that's the kernel of what like America's based on. Since the discovery of red sit in the trees, the local community has been navigating the creeks and marshes in order to get media and support to their neighbor. All the media that I talked to, I think they enjoyed going up there and seeing how beautiful it was. And uh, I think that's given them something to think about as well. As we've heard before in previous episodes about Bent Mountain, the area is high and flat and almost entirely wetlands or waterways. You, know, you, you, you see a lot of vernal springs. Um, I found a lot of uh, frog eggs, found a lot of mating frogs. So all that's really happening. All, all matter of fact, uh, I was pointed out several small creeks and wetlands by uh, some wetland scientists who have been involved that are not marked, that are just already green. A, a lot of what's going on up there is in a place where it has been very, very poorly marked for, for cr uh, creeks and streams, and all that is directly going into the bottom creek. I recently had the chance to walk along the banks of Bottom Creek with local wetland scientist and now farmer, Dave Tribble. Bottom Creek is a tier three stream, otherwise known as an exceptional state water, labeled as such by the Virginia DEQ itself. As Bent Mountain resident Roberta Johnson pointed out to the State Water Control Board, it's the only tier three stream downstream from the pipeline with 80 individual crossings through its watershed. I still have yet to see, you know, detailed maps of this project, like where are the streams and where are the wetlands. And I don't want to just know that. I want to know what kind of wetlands are those. Oh, so you're going through Frank Terry's property. 
what kind of wetland are you calling that? Are you calling it a forested wetland? Because that's what it is. The reason this is important, says Dave, is for mitigation. Forested wetland is considered the highest quality wetland there is, and the mitigation ratio is two to one. But as Dave would discover, MVP isn't required to identify the types of wetlands at all. He made this discovery recently while doing wetland delineation for another nearby resident, Kathy Chandler. I'm not seeing any flagging from, from the MVP's delineation. And I, we get the core guy out there, Todd Miller, the project manager, and um, like, Todd, where are their flags? And he says, oh, they don't have to flag. What? They don't have to flag their wetlands when they delineate it. They just take their GPS and they mark it with their GPS. So, so my question is, Todd, when, when you come out to do the confirmation and check these wetlands, how do you know where their line is? I mean, you, you, what are you, you're looking at this very coarse map. How, how are you getting any detail from that? So no matter how big or small the job I do, you know, delineation I do, I have to be very detailed with my, my line, you know, flagging all along it, you know, marked. Each point has a, an ID and but you don't see any of theirs anywhere. They're not required to do it. I am surrounded by wetlands. I am, it, it is nothing but wetlands up here. That is Red, speaking to me from her tree sit between two trees on her family's property. Red has been up in the tree since April 2nd. Uh, well, Mountain Valley discovered me the other day. I was not in my tree stand. I was I figured I had a day. I took off for Easter and came down, and uh, I did not realize that they were right over a few miles away on Easter marking territory. My son and I were going to enjoy the day and finish stocking our our houses and, you know, get ready to get up in them, and they started putting their blue and white stakes everywhere, and I got down here in time to see them taking down my ladder. I said, come on, son, and we set it back up, and I crawled in, and they called the cops immediately. The cops looked at him and said, is she impending your surveying? And they said, no. They said, well, nothing we can do. She's on her land. So then all the lawyers got together for MVP and sent out a notice that I needed to be out of this tree by 5 o'clock. Red is definitely not out of the tree, At least, she was still there on the evening of Thursday, April 5th. But it's hard to tell what could happen next. She said she's determined to remain in the tree as long as it takes. And the people up here on the mountain that haven't slept in three years, that are getting old before their time, because some big, greedy corporation wants to take their land, you know, when they go up in the top of my orchard climbing that mountain, if you dig down an inch or two, you hit solid rock. So they plan on blasting the mountain. And I had retired DEQ come walk through my property 
and there's a fault line about 100 yards away. And they're going to blast that mountain with that fault line. I was not expecting all the help that I have gotten. I was actually floored that so many people showed up and and gave me a thumbs up. I mean, it it was unreal. I've got a young girl that set up a tent next to me because she didn't want me to be alone tonight. And, you know, I met her today, and she's camping out. And, you know, every morning I get a, I have no curtains in my house. I have woods on four sides. And I get up and I walk out there and look out those windows. And I think that I'm the luckiest person alive that I wake up to that view every day. And I see turkey and I see deer. While we spoke, Red listed every animal she's ever seen around the forested wetlands of Bent Mountain. She listed every tree and every mushroom that she's foraged for. All of them reasons why she's chosen to go up into a tree. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of Genesis Chapman's thesis on Bottom Creek. It's like, well, we're here to make a profit. So what if the wildlife suffers? So what if your water suffers? So what if we scar your land and everything they're doing is next to these beautiful creeks? You know, Governor McAuliffe went ahead and told them to go ahead and destroy whatever they needed to as long as they gave him money for it. But I don't think he has the right to destroy people's water source. I would like them to know that there are things in this world that money can't buy because there's a whole community up here. There's a whole community in Franklin County. There's communities in West Virginia. No one signed on for this, and they're just taking everything these people have worked all their lives for. And the politicians are saying, okay, give us money and you can you can just screw all these people. You know, they're sacrificial. You take what you need. You know, that doesn't set well with me. You know, I was given uh, MVP security when I had three of them sitting here watching me, waiting on the cops. I was giving them a hard time. I said, you know, you need to take it easy because I'm a senior citizen. And they looked at me and said, yeah, right. I told him I'd like to trade places with him and let him see what it's like to fight for something that you really love. Once you've gone through and turned those rural communities into an industrial wasteland that's never coming back, it's destroyed for good. And we, you know, people can wax poetic and say like, oh, what are we gonna leave our kids? And it's like, specifically, there are kids here. These are people, you know, They're putting a face on it, you know? Do you feel like y'all are winning right now? Do you feel like Bent Mountain as a community? <sighs> There's so many fronts for that. There's a lot of different fronts for that. Um, I think as of today, we're, you know, a friend saying every day, one day at a time, every hour, one day at a time. So yeah, every, so today's, so far today, that's what it is. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, 
But yeah, I think uh, as more and more people on the mountain are becoming part of it and helping out, you know, it's giving people something to do and that's winning because it's our community, you know. Some of my best friends in the world right now are people who I've met in Franklin County, in Roanoke County, in Montgomery County, you know, centering around this common fight. You know, it's, it's beyond finding common ground. It's like when we join together and we are able to work in harmony with each other with all these different approaches, we might not be able to unite around a single approach because there is no one way to do this. But we can ultimately not just find common ground, but reach higher ground together because it's, it's, that's what it takes. It takes all of us and it takes showing up and showing up and showing up and working one day longer than they do because they're counting on us giving up. And nothing is a loss if we're continuing to find ways that we can build together and continuing to develop relationships, then that's a win in and of itself. Like the resistance doesn't always look like completely stopping the pipeline, but rather creating relationships that are bigger than any pipeline that can like build futures that are greater than fossil fuel infrastructure. And so I see that I really see and feel that spreading and moving. And it's interesting because, yeah, I don't know, hope, I mean, it's sort of a, it can be a vague term in these sort of things, but at least it's given a sense of purpose to a lot of people. And I think when you're doing something, I mean, maybe, who knows how all this will end, but at least at the end of the day, I know I can look my kid in the eyes and said I stood up for what was right and I stood up for our, our, our home and our community. And that's probably the one kernel of hope is what you see in her face, in her eyes, that, you know, that she will continue that on. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting, with support from listeners and pipeline fighters throughout Appalachia and the Mid-Atlantic. Special thanks for this episode goes to Jenny and Genesis Chapman, Mary Beth Coffey, Mert Reeves, Mara Robbins, Dave Tribble, and Red. To hear all episodes from End of the Line, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. The time has come for us to celebrate With all we are, we can know.